So KubeCon is in October. Yes. And they've been doing the votings for the various cubes that would be a part of the main offering. Mm -hmm. And you can vote on these just like on their Twitter. They're just doing runoff polls. I think this week and next week, Mr. Dom Harvey had a cube in the first poll, which sadly came in last place. And I was honestly shocked because it was to me the best one out of all four like not even close Mm -hmm. i don't want to badmouth the competition or anything but i think dom was really onto something and apparently it was a very small percentage of people who think that (laughs) weird that's disappointing but this the poll that was running the same day was interesting in a different regard because i basically narrowed it down to two choices where there's a spawn writhe cube do you know what spawn right is? I think if I look it up, I will recall it. Oh, yes. It copies itself. Yeah. It's a Shadow War 2G2 with Trample that when it hits a player, you make a copy of it. Yes, I remember this card. So the conceit of this cube is that you, when you're building your deck, you can put any number of basic lands and any number of spawn rides in your deck. <laughs> and there are no creatures nor ways to create creatures other than spawn mm-hmm. so the only combat is between spawn correct and the entire Great. cube is just based around the spawn writhing mm-hmm. and it was actually kind of cool i like kind of that is cute dig yeah. the idea it's, you know i draft it once or something but like, right yeah it's adorable like when you're doing a whole con you gotta have some memorable cubes in there and i thought yeah. it was like memorable and interesting in a way that Another cube wouldn't be. The cube it was losing to badly was Boat Cube. What is Boat Cube? Boat Cube is every card has to have a boat in the art. And that includes (laughs) spaceships and skyships. So looking through this cube, there are a lot of cards with boats that you don't expect are in the art. Like it's a very funny constraint for a cube. But it's not really going to go anywhere. And it's not going to make like the gameplay funny in oh, a way no. that like, it's, it's Spawn not, Rife makes it's the gameplay funny. It's not a good funny. gameplay. And this was um, very clear by some of the cards in the cube. So the color distribution is completely whack. There's like yeah. 4 million blue cards, obviously. Of course, yes. Uh, there's a good chunk of white. Blue even has more like airships than any other color by a lot. So Well, you get bailed out by the Weatherlight Saga a bunch because it's in a bunch of cards the weatherlight yeah and that means there's a bunch of white and red cards from that and kaladesh as well yeah gotcha. Uh, black gets the shaft and green is completely absent there's just no green cards in the cube <laughs> like actually zero actually or zero, just very few zero green cards in the cube well i guess better than trying to force it yeah uh, one of the cute things was seeing how many cards that I didn't know had boats in the art, like Hokori Dusk Drinker. That's a card you probably can picture the art of. It's like a tornado face. It's got a boat in the art, just like in the oh. corner. Yeah, I did not expect that. And the gameplay was highlighted by uh, one of the blue cards was Indentured Gen, which is a three mana four four that ancestrals your opponent. Yes, that card is terrible. It has a boat in it. And one of the white cards was just straight up Cataclysm. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there's not a lot of balance. There's also 4 million blue-black duels 
despite there not being very many black cards. There's a lot of blue-black lands with boats in them. Yeah, I think I would prefer to play the Spawnwraith cube. Yeah, absolutely. The other two were not non-remarkable in my eyes. But the boat cube was crushing everyone else. Of course. It's much cuter to like read the cube options and be like, ooh, boat cube, that sounds cool. I'm sure someone did a good job with that. <laughs> and to be fair, for what they did, it, it yeah, honestly that, is good. I mean, it's just it sounds like, like a lot of fun. Only good to look at, not good to play. <laughs> this is supposed to be for the main event where you're forced to play these cubes. But it's neat. I've been enjoying looking at all the kind of deranged cube ideas. Alright, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 294 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hey, Chris. Are we are we just starting episodes with... I Hey, everyone. I Yep. <laughs> you gotta... I was probably gonna cut that out, but... The dissolution of... You can't now. <laughs> Otherwise, my joke wouldn't make sense. Mm, but I could cut this all out. That's the power of the audio Being editor. the editor. Oh, no. Hi, Chris. <laughs> mm, you come before me as supplicant. All right. What's going on today? <laughs> all right. So for today, we are going to talk Pioneer, mostly the two challenges this weekend because neither were canceled. So that's very fortunate for us for data analysis purposes. Some of that information may be less useful than other information because between Saturday and Sunday, we had the <laughs> metagame warping shift of the Boros Convoke deck becoming uncovered. And everything is kind of different now, but we'll talk about that. And then after we go over that, I figured we'd spend just some time talking about Gearhulk Creativity, the deck that I've been working on a lot, the deck that I'm almost certainly going to register for regionals unless one of the second order effects of the Boros Convoke deck knocks it down, which is possible, and we'll talk about that. But I, I certainly want to talk about stuff that I've learned with that deck. I wrote up a guide that y'all are welcome to take a look at. It's just on my Twitter. It's it's public. It's free. And what is that Twitter? CCR underscore grindcast. Yeah. And yeah, y'all are welcome to check that guide out and probably good to have that as a reference. And also, you know, we'll talk about the stuff that's a little easier to do on a podcast as opposed to the written form. And then, and then you'll have everything and you'll be an expert. You'll be so good at the deck. And know all the sideboarding. Just perfect. Yeah, just perfect. I did include the notes where I was like, you know, I've been doing this, but you might want to try this instead. I'm not totally sure. You know, I don't want to appear like super confident in things that are a little up in the air still. Sideboarding it can be an art, but it's mm -hmm. also a science where you just have to try out all the possibilities <laughs> and no one has time yes. for all of them. Yes. At some point, you just kind of like have to go with your gut, but... One of the things that we're trying to do, because we're getting to Dallas early and spending a couple of days in a house, and so that's one of the things is we're just going to relentlessly jam matchups and try to make sure that we get the play patterns down and have our sideboarding stuff right. But before we get into creativity, why don't we just kind of like talk through these challenges and what's going on in the Pioneer format? Yeah, so setting the stage for Saturday, the world is innocent, everything is right in the Pioneer world. Mm -hmm. Boros convoke stuff. is uh, just a just kind of 
maybe a whisper on the wind once yeah. in a while. Yeah, and we we get blue white spirits winning the Saturday challenge. Yeah, crazy. Something I would not have expected to be honest. Uh yeah, it's one of those things where like I think a decent amount of like leyline binding decks exists online because so much Rakdos exists online and spirits just generally beats up on those decks so you have a bunch of favorable matchups running around blue white control i think you're quite you're extremely good against and you know you just have to get the reasonable matchups and and you can do fine and the deck isn't goofing around too much it's a curious obsession deck with geist light snares so you have some like legitimate nut draws and it's a spell queller deck and it's not a deck that i'm like particularly interested in playing but it has its good matchups and clearly uh this player found them on saturday yeah i and speaking of good matchups there was a there is a lotus field deck in fourth place of this challenge uh with one of the newer pieces of technology that people are trying out which is chandra hope's beacon yep this is the new six mana walker that copies spells like it's being used as the win condition you can like loop it with balagand recovery and it has its own damage modes so you could just put it in your graveyard while you're killing your opponent yeah you need all three of the balagand recoveries available to you to do the combo with it though so i don't know how fragile that makes it but it it is a you know a kind of bit of weirdness uh it makes it a little demanding and also i word on the street is the card kind of doesn't I haven't seen any like tangible benefit to it yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it just kind of is a thing you can win with along with a bunch of other stuff. It doesn't really yeah. do anything outside of that. Cause when you're doing a six mana removal spell, it's nowhere near as yeah. good as something lower down the curve. I, I did tune into a stream this morning where I like saw somebody playing against Lotus field and they had untapped with a vizier and made a lotus field and put a chandra into play and then cast hidden strings and copied it and it was like okay that's pretty that was nice that was like a solid sequence oh yeah that that's great uh because then it could just like use the chandra to go down the the problem is like you want to win that turn and if you want to use chandra's plus one to like dig for a card to win with you can't put chandra in the graveyard anymore (laughs) you would have to like make so much mana you could bounce it to your hand with odawara Right, right. I think that's the way. But, you know, once you have started comboing off, you know, the deck eventually produces infinite resources and you can yeah. do whatever. Yeah, it's neat. I, I like Chandra. I hope she's good, but I don't mm-hmm. think that she really offers that much. I think it's a moderate side grade, but right. You know, like it's even if it is a better option than pure or whatever it's not like a revolutionary change that's going to make the deck significantly better or significantly worse or like really adjust any matchups right what kills it for me is it's just like not very good off emerge ultimatum mm-hmm. and those other cards are sure but anyway i i think that lotus field's position has not changed uh for sun or saturday and then sunday gone through you know some sort of hole <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean the the sunday results are are definitely a, a sea change to the format but yeah it did make top eight of the saturday challenge grease fang also in the top eight uh rakdos sacrifice jabberwocky on a list with no Omnixilis, uh captive kingpin in it but just kind of a, a very stock pre obnixilis version just maxing out on all of the good cards 
four claim the firstborn is kind of like one of the main things and then four thoughts is in in the main deck so you just have all of your like cheap interaction and if you think that claim the firstborn is good in the format it's very good against fable tokens in particular so i i get what this thing is doing yeah if you're a deck that claim the firstborn is good against it's like better than thoughtsies most of the time oh yeah it creates these like huge blowout turns for sure uh it's also kind of justice when mono green gets attacked by one of their four fours i agree absolutely uh, i don't i don't have a lot else to say about like red black sack i kind of wonder why jabberwocky didn't he must have tested with uh Nixilis and just decided it mm-hmm. wasn't worth it is what i'm imagining happened there's not even any on the sideboard one of the, so one of the weird things about Obnixilis, I think, is really the three toughness, and it's just like makes you vulnerable to spot removal spells in a way that uh, most spot removal spells are like only good against the Mayhem Devils in your deck. But but Mayhem Devil can still potentially do a bunch of work on a turn where it's gonna die, and Obnixilis like kind of can also, but also kind of can't. Like if you if you don't if you're not really set up on an Obnexilis turn where you like try to bring back a cat and then they respond to that by fiery impulsing or fatal pushing it and there wasn't really much you could have done to get eke out any more value from it and it did cost four mana so i think that's ultimately the vulnerability of Obnixilis and one of the reasons that it's tough to fit in is just because it's a really all-in sort of play that can lead to you getting blown out by a card that might not have been good against you if that card wasn't in your deck i i do think there can be spots for it though especially if you perceive the format shifting in a way that you need to go big over some decks like your small ball building up an engine oh it's stuff really powerful when it works for sure like i think this is like clearly a choice to be made rather than mm-hmm. ob just doesn't fit in these decks kind of deal i yeah no i agree i'm just saying like i think that's you know it's a swingy card when it works it's great when it dies to fiery impulse and you don't get a card off of it, you just like start questioning You're all sad. Of your choices. You're very sad, especially if you can't play the card the turn that Ob dies. Right. Uh, in seventh place, we have your baby, Gearhole Creativity with one Atraxa. <laughs> yeah, this one is really weird. There is a Brotherhood in Brotherhood's end in this uh, list, so really just prepared for sunday yeah prescient i mean you know you can do what you want you can change up your interaction a little bit i mean i don't think that it is right to run an atraxa in this deck i think one of the strengths of the deck is that it has no dead cards in it to draw and when you put an atraxa in there and also sometimes you're like okay yeah if i get back up if I get a Torrential Gear Hulk, so then I can cast this Magma Opus, kill these two things, uh, and then put two blockers into play. So then I, you know, they can't attack me even if they have a removal spell. But then you just like get a Traxa, and it's like, well, in a lot of spots, a Traxa would have been fine, but I really, really needed to cast this Magma Opus here. And you also can't like take it on faith. It's like, I don't have anything great in my graveyard, but now I'll creativity and maybe I'll hit an Atraxa and that'll be better than this like Gear Hulk for a, a bad Prismari command or something. It's like, I I want a little more. I want to know what's going to happen, at least game one. I And I do, you know, if you read the guide, you see I side into the one Hullbreaker horror a lot, but you're really doing a lot of complicated things to mitigate the variance there. Uh, just putting an Atraxa into your deck is not something I can super get behind. 
I also just like kind of hate Atraxa in the is it creativity core anyways because you draw all of these cards that are creativity or are creativity enablers or are early game interaction that is meant to get you to your creativity. You're basically just putting so, a seven seven lifelink flyer into play. You're yeah, you're putting a seven seven lifelink flyer that's drawing you a bunch of cards that were like trying to get you to that point. And then like what if they have like cavaliers in play? Like what do you do then? <laughs> uh I also hate this specific Atraxa because it is uncastable like a lot of the is it attracts it actually play big spoils big score excuse me <laughs> which is uh <laughs> it makes treasure tokens so you like have a dream of casting attracts mm -hmm. this deck does not have a dream like i guess you cast all three prismary commands or attack with a goblin three times but that's yeah i think the only way to get there is going ham with fable but you could just like win with a ham sandwich at that point most of the time if your goblin is attached like three times or twice yeah usually you're getting away with something and and you'll be able to figure the thing out from there the goblin dies the first time it attacks like every every board state <laughs> so i mean you know once we get into the the torrential gear hook portion of it fable is like your best weapon against a lot of the like linear decks and in those matchups you know uh, sometimes against lotus field you'll get multiple attacks in and then be able to like hugely leverage that advantage and so then that's what like the card becomes so much better in the in matchups like that because it gives you a, a a low cost thing to do that provides an advantage going forward but it's not a thing that you can count on in any way whatsoever so yeah that that yeah the treasure is really powerful it reminds me of i've been playing like a lot of hardened scales recently in modern not in pioneer mm -hmm. uh, and i played against jund in a local event like a jund saga deck and I let a Ragavan hit me just like three or four times because it wasn't threatening anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, the, they couldn't really leverage their mana in a way that was effective because all my cards are just so redundant. Right. None of their cards actually, like, accomplish anything against you having creatures that their plus one, plus one counters increase when they die. So their treasures were just kind of piling up and, like, using them, but to no end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that matchup is really bad for the Jun deck. Yeah. That doesn't like have a parallel to this conversation. I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was funny and reminded me of it. No, yeah, that's cute. I, I totally get it. In Pioneer, though, you let a creativity deck stack up a bunch of treasures. They will find a way to make that mana like make you miserable. I mean, yeah, of course. You also have like so many more things to do with extra mana just on basis of the cards being you have expensive eight mana instant in your deck it four copies of that so hey, some of these uh, creativity decks have shark typhoon too or mm -hmm. odawara or something like that like there's yeah. a million things to spend your mana on there's learn yes. cards in this deck <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so you know i wouldn't build the deck exactly this way but it's it's good to see people try and stuff out uh, so six Rakdos decks, six mono green decks in this top 32. Abzan Greasefang also starting to make more of a splash. And this makes sense to me. The way that people have been building Greasefang mostly is to kind of tilt it towards the Rakdos matchup. And I think that matchup is pretty favorable for the Greasefang decks. And the deck is is well built and definitely doing a thing that is good against Rakdos, good against stuff like Lotus Field, struggles 
against green and in particular against Karn, and it it's tough to solve that. But I, I know a bunch of people, a bunch of people that I know and uh, have been working with are planning on playing it at regionals, and I totally understand that. I think it's really good, and I think it could be good in a metagame where people are trying to like convoke you a bunch. Yeah, because you just like clock them back. And... Right. Yeah, you like have a plan, and you have reasonable sideboard cards. You can mm-hmm. build. You can build your deck, even your main deck, a little more generously towards the matchup if you want to. Like for instance, this ninth place deck in the challenge has two seeds of hope and a sore and vengeful bloodlord just in the main deck, uh, and those cards are not what I would call stock or particularly yeah. good <laughs> interesting choices yeah i don't know that we'll see those in any of the rc lists but, but that's just to to show that you can still do well with grease fang with like just the general core and you have a lot of cards you can work with in your main deck yeah yeah i agree i still don't love grease fang i'm a little you know part of my experience there is that I've been playing like probably its worst matchup in current Pioneer. And so the deck like does not feel strong when I play against it just because I happen to be playing like the deck that beats it really, really consistently. But I the deck is is strong. It's a Thoughtseize deck. It has solid cards in it and it presents a really early, really scary combo. So uh and and it's built well now. The general vessel of nascency traverse the Ulvenwald build makes it powerful and consistent yeah i I think your sideboard kind of will determine how well you do in a in a tournament like the rc Uh, because i'm looking at like this 11th place deck list by game night which has four wedding announcement and two dim whispers in the sideboard (laughs) and those are hallmark cards for but we're going long this game Mm mm-hmm and yeah. doom whisperer is quite it's quite the commitment uh, it's just a five mana six six flying trample it puts cards in your graveyard for life it puts cards in your graveyard you know greasefang has like a really painful mana base i don't oh, know how terrible. many times you can actually activate this doom whisperer though this particular list is a mana confluenceless one which I probably so I hate mana confluence. I just despise the card. But yeah, it's kind of a necessary. I agree evil. that it is necessary because your mana base hurts. Like if you don't have it, you often just wonder Can't. what you're doing yeah. with your life. Especially given that Greasefang costs one white black. All of your like cheap setup cards are green. Like you've got Traverse, Grizzly Salvage, you've got Wither Boom Command. And then you are also boarding up to four Liliana of the Veil. So you have to be able to make double black on turn three. And that's, you know, there's some specific requirements. When and you, you have more green cards in your sideboard too, like Assassin's Trophy or Terra Sunder. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some pretty tough mana requirements that make. I, I think that if you map out the mana base, you usually just end up with like, yeah, I got to play a couple mana confluence in here. Oh my God, there's two Doom Whispers in the next Greasefang deck I, I clicked on. Is this a new thing? Are these just what the Greasefang people are doing now? I got to say, I don't know exactly what that's for. I don't either. I have no idea. This is the first weekend I've seen it. Uh, maybe that's my ignorance. I do look at deck lists quite often, but... Two different players with Doom Whisper in their sideboard. Is... is this like a mirror thing? So one thing that we were talking about, we were playing Bring Delight. We played it against Chris some on Greasefang, and we were just kind of like 
figuring out the matchup. Like now Collins is running a couple of volcanic spites over two of the chain to the rocks because it was like this matchup is really hard without a l- at least a little bit more instant speed ways of killing Greasefang. Uh, so, you know, good stuff that we learned. Uh, we got into this spot where like we're casting Bring Delight. There's a Parhelion in the graveyard. We could get Slaughter Games. But then, like, we're not doing anything active with this Bring Delight, and we might just die to three twos from there on out, because this was, like, our last big thing was casting this Bring Delight. Is there something that we can get that would stop us from dying to Parhelion and also, like, give us something going forward? Like, ideally, it would be, like, put an Elder Gargaroth into play so we don't take damage off of this Parhelion and we just, like, go from there. A Baneslayer Angel effect of some sort. Uh, Katose the Silent Spider is one of the ones we came up with. Like, surgical, their Parhelions, then at least we have a 4-4 out of the deal uh, in- instead of just slaughter gamesing them and having nothing. Uh, and so I don't know if, like, Doom Whisper is a similar thing. You don't really get a good Parhelion attack through a Doom Whisper. Like, one of the angels dies and you take some damage, and then there's a Doom Whisper still in play on the other side. Uh, like, putting Parhelions into the graveyard. I I don't know. That's just speculation. I would have to get access to a Greasefang player who has made this choice. Yeah, I don't need to speculate on it. It's the first time I've seen it. It was just weird that I saw it twice. Mm-hmm. Anything else in this challenge you really want to talk about before we move on to the upheaval? I mean, we've got one of these like absolutely chaotic Niv to Light lists with, you know, 35 unique non-basic lands and a Niv Mizzet Supreme and one Yasharn. It's got my favorite card that the Scarab a God. Clothis. I do love a Scarab God. Yeah. I, I'm not going to hate on the Scarab God. The Scarab God ends games. Invasion of Asgol, you hit that off of your niv Mizzet, and then you cast it the next turn and then attack it, and you get your 2-1. It's going to be hard not to convince... <laughs> niv Mizzet's a good clock. Like, that's the best part about niv Mizzet Reborn to me, is it, like, yeah, draws it's cards hard to and not it kills them. attack your opponent <laughs> for 6, but... Like, how badly do I want a 2-1 Menace? Not the can we just leave that six to damage badly like Omnath or something? Can we can we delegate Omnath to attacking sieges? Uh, yeah, that can be Omnath's job. No, I'd, this is just in the realm of five color decks that can do well because they are targeting practice, right? Yes, it's it's exactly the same as all of the other ones. Effectively, the it is. You know, it's a Yorion deck, so that is a little bit tough. It's 80 cards, so your sideboard is less consistent. You're also not running Fable of the Mirror Breaker. You do get Leyline Binding, but, you know, as compared to, like, the 60-card Bring to Light deck where you get to run the best red card and the best white card, this isn't quite doing that, and you're running a bunch of, like, kind of mopey-ish two-color things to make your Niv-Mizzet good. But you do get Niv-Mizzet, which is quite a value card. Yeah, so unfortunately this deck does not fit on a deck list, a standard deck list. Mm, so you're going to have to use the back, back or bring your own custom deck list. Yeah, I would print it out. I would not uh, also, want to be writing out, this day of. Shout out to the one casualties of war in the sideboard. Just still staying strong. Still there. There's yeah. not a better choice. It's untarnished in its usefulness. Oh, wow. A Blood Baron of Viscopa? What a throwback. I love it. 
Uh, I, I hate that card because I've lost to it in limited so many times. <laughs> it was just really hard to beat in limited. <laughs> like way more than I should have to lose to a mythic rare. I believe it was a mythic mm. rare, right? Maybe. Yeah, it absolutely was. was. It? Okay, that's good. All right, on to the Sunday challenge. On to the Sunday challenge. First and second place. What do we have? First and second place. Boros Convoke. What? So I've never heard of that before. <laughs> and Ill Pause. All right, so this is a deck. It's mostly what it says on the tin. We've got Gleeful Demolition as the new Koldotha Rebirth. We've got Ornithopter, Thraben Inspector, and Voldaran Epicure making artifacts. We've got... Uh, eight copies of a four and a white four four convoke creature and then filler of you know forbidden friendships reckless book bushwhackers resolute reinforcements things to just kind of like help you go wide and convoke out the big threats the opening hands with this deck are some of the most bonkers available in pioneer it is very possible to convoke out a Venerated Loxodon or a Knight Errant of Eos on turn two if you start with a Thraben Inspector or a Voldaren Epicure, turn two, Gleeful Destruction, you've got enough. You can even fit another one-mana creature in there potentially, and you convoke out your 4-4, four, four, putting I mean, potentially white, up to like... creature in the terms of uh, Epicure. Uh, yes, you do need a white creature if you're gonna convoke completely and i mean that gives you up to like 14 power on the board on turn two so when you do it and like the first time i played against this deck my opponent just made a, a venerated loxodon on turn two both games when you do it it's really impressive when you multiply and your hand is kind of medium it is not good yeah it, then you're just like oh i can't really though i will say knight errant of eos is basically the reason why this deck exists like, it's mm -hmm. really impressive when you do the venerated Loxodon stuff on turn two when you have a giant board, and then next turn, maybe you bushwhack yourself and your opponent's just dead. Like that, mm -hmm. th That's why it's, like, really good against um, some of these Monograde Arachdos decks, because they just, like, aren't prepared to deal with that. Yeah, <laughs> that I mean, the format is really dedicated to efficient spot removal, and spot removal is not super helpful in a lot of these games. But with if that was all the deck did, I think it would be, like, pretty niche mm -hmm. uh but knight errant of eos which is the uh, convoke 4-4 that draws two cards draws two creatures really gives this deck a, a good punch like when yeah. you develop out and you grab a bushwhacker you can set up for a huge swing the next turn or you can just like grab cards that you know if you convoke it for the whole five you can grab another convoke creature and then you're just waiting for the next one yep uh, nobody knows how to build this deck yet. At As all. you can see, the Sodek list that won has zero Burning Tree Emissaries. The second Giganta. place list has a playset of Burning Tree Emissaries. Are we running Legion's Landings? I, I, I do think Legion's Landing is pretty good and helps the deck out. Like, like, what's our backup plan? Is Bushwhacker actually that good? I've heard people say that it's really just not actually that good and, and the deck needs a different backup plan. And I, I don't know, it, it like seems fine and it lets you present threats. Uh, Burning Tree Emissary, I've heard people say that it's necessary for the deck. I've heard people say that it's like completely unplayable in the deck. You know, we're not, this deck is like two days old. It's a baby. So we're, we're yeah. figuring things I, out. Right I actually now. know relatively little about this deck because, I, you know, I was just doing other things this weekend. And that's the deck existed at the end of Saturday 
to today is Tuesday. Like this is yeah. very new. It's strong. The the highs are high. The lows. I lost my first six games that I played with this deck. I didn't keep seven a single time, and I kept six one time or something like that. Uh, and I just got bodied and then bodied and then bodied and then bodied. Uh, it was enough to just make me go, I don't I don't think I'm willing to put any amount of time into this. It was so miserable. Uh, Collins picked it up, lost his first two matches and dropped from that league, and then a day later like played a league and just immediately 5-0'd with it so the probably like know, five minutes straight it's right it does not take long at least the league that we played with the deck and i played all five matches ended up going one four in that league uh i i was kind of going for the clean like uh oh five oh and ten <laughs> record because I, I really wanted that screenshot to post but only if it were legitimately obtained yeah of course and so we did not hit those illustrious lows but the deck did not feel good to me. And also I played against spirits and they played a ratchet bomb against me and, you know, just ran into people have already started putting a couple of sweepers in their sideboard. If everybody at the RC shows up with two sweepers in their sideboard, this deck is not top eating that tournament. No, the ratchet bomb is a particularly good one because sometimes the turn three sweeper, you've taken a bunch of damage. And if their convoke mm -hmm. guy was the draw cards one, they, we can rebuild. <laughs> yeah, I kind of laser targeted and I just put two Cinderclasm in my sideboard before starting to play Gear Hulk on stream today. Can you remind me what Cinderclasm does? Because I know it's not the one that destroys islands or planes, but that's no, the only card I is, can think of. <laughs> that's Cryoclasm. Yes. <laughs> Cinderclasm is one in a red for an instant, deals one damage to each creature. It has kicker of a red to yes. make it deal two damage. Okay, yeah. So that gives you a little flexibility. You can like sweep the Gleeful Destruction tokens before they convoke a thing with it sometimes. Or if you, you know, you kind of like get your mana up a turn later and they've already put out a venerated Loxodon, you can deal the two damage to kill all of the tokens. So I did play against it once. Cinderclasm was extremely good against them, and that's not very surprising. I also think that bringing in disdainful stroke against them is probably good because they kind of have to cast a convoke card for their cards to be good most of the time yeah no one's winning with like a pile of one ones and ornithopters yeah though shout out to i shall you play against someone who was uh mutating regal leosaur onto their ornithopter that's kind of sick do love a regal leosaur but then I played against an opponent who mulliganed to five, played a turn one Thraven Inspector, and played a turn two Regal Leosaur as a <laughs> red-white 2-2. Two -two. So the highs are high, the lows are low. So I ignored those creatures, put a Magma Opus in my graveyard, and they just could not possibly win that game. Well, see, you simply can't mutate onto a human. <laughs> <laughs> well, it costs three yeah, to mutate anyways. Three oh okay yeah I, I i i think this deck is worth working on i think it's really strong but i don't know how long it will be it's really context dependent on how much time other people are willing to spend to beat it because it does have like a pretty good fail rate i think yeah i mean multiple of my matches my opponents just didn't have to do anything special i was just going to five and not putting together a particularly good hand so but there are, I know a lot of people, we're looking at like deck lists that are three days old, right? And there's three days of iterations been on this mm -hmm. deck. 
uh, Forbidden Friendship and Clarion Spirit are in these decks, and I know people have been trying to cut Forbidden Friendship uh, and seeing what they can play instead of Clarion Spirit because mm-hmm. there's like a lot of cards you could feasibly put in that slot. Right. Even just like more one drops, you know, like Hunted Witness is not the worst thing that you could put in there and stuff. Yeah, I mean, this deck has two giant killers in it. Both of them do, actually, the first and second place, just because it's a white one drop that does something. Well, I, I think one of the ways that you lose is you get thought seized and then they put a shieldred in play. And so this is one of the ways to like try not to have that happen as much. Yeah, it, it definitely has a function. But I imagine most of the time you play it, it's going to be as soon as you draw it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, deck, the deck is really impressive when it's doing its thing. I will be interested in seeing where it goes. I am not, not really willing to psychologically do this to myself at regionals unless something really special comes around with it. And I have found the deck to be beatable. One of the things, honestly, the most... The biggest concern that I have from this deck appearing is that one of its worst matchups is blue-white control, just because it is really difficult to successfully do Gleeful Sabotage into Convoke Creature against blue-white's, like, Suite of Disruption, especially, like, March of Otherworldly Light for one-mana counter Gleeful Destruction is, is, is really bad. So, or Gleeful Demolition is what this card is called. The, the blue-white matchup is quite bad. And so if this encourages more people to register blue-white, then that sends a lot of reverberations through the metagame and, and changes what you want to be doing, I think. And another thing blue-white gets to play kind of for free that's good against it is temporary lockdown, right? That's yeah, just, it just kills you, yeah. It's not even... It's not damage-based sweeper. It's just get everything small. So they're left with a 4-4. Like if yeah. they've convoked the thing out. Yep. So, and and, and you know... All, you also just have a couple of Supreme Verdicts. And the thing that this deck is preying on is that the format is heavily targeted removal-based and very few sweepers. Most sideboards didn't have sweepers before this deck came along. And it doesn't take a ton. Like, yes, you can beat a sweeper, but if you keep playing against sweepers over and over in every match, then it's not it's not going to go great. Uh, sorry, I was looking at this blue-white control deck that made second place, third place in this challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of like it a lot. Uh, the sideboard is so cool. It's got Elspeth's Smite, which is the white lightning bolt, of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> and three Invasion of New Phyrexia in the sideboard, <laughs> just to make a million knights. Interesting. I, I like this. Not enough to ever play it, but, you know, props to Scoot5566. Yeah, the the blue white builds have gotten pretty good. I, just like being able to pass the turn and you're holding up memory deluge and wandering emperor and a counter spell is just like there's no right answer for your opponent. I like I definitely respect the power level of this deck. I don't love playing against it and I don't love playing with it either, but that's you know that's all right. Your path to salvation is clearly just to jam a bunch of Invasion of New Phyrexias, turn it into a, a mid-range knight deck. No, the so the whole thing that's messed up about this deck is that they just get to do almost everything at instant speed. Yeah, that, that is what's really good about it. Also, 
all of these lists have one Castle Ardenvale, but my opponents always draw the Castle Ardenvale against me, and it's really good against me. How many turns are you playing on average? Are these long games? I mean, they are long games, but a lot of times they have it starting. Like, a lot of times they're able to make a token or two before I have Gear Hulk mana up to stop them from making tokens. And it's like, just slow, just chill, relax. I just, I just needed you to not have it quite right then. It's quite as early. Yeah, sure. Are we, are we ready to admit the blue white's a great deck now? I think it is good. And I, I think it has a place. Uh, I think that it's built pretty specifically. It's Rakdos matchup isn't great. And stuff like it's humans matchup is atrocious. And, you know, there, there's just like places where it will be really bad, but it's pretty good against all of the Leyline Binding decks. It's really bad against Spirits. It does seem pretty good against Mono Green, particularly the Laydown Arms version, but I don't know how good the non-Laydown Arms version that's a lot of four mana spells and like Shark Typhoons and stuff is against Mono Green. That seems kind of tough. I agree that it seems tough, but also these decks keep winning and Mono Green is not showing up in that large numbers. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I'm just trying to like get a picture of the overall, you know, matchup matrix for it. Sure. I know that like, you know, like Lotus Field is basically unbeatable for it, but there's a, a decent handful of decks that really struggle against Lotus Field. So that's not, you know, not a huge yeah, it's against not the deck. Like if you want to beat Lotus Field more, you can just play more Narcissus Reversals and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to play Blue Light Control... I think that it's probably pretty well positioned for by the time the RC comes around and uh, you could do worse. All right, moving on. Have you seen this blue-red extra turns deck, basically? Oh, yeah, I have. The, so it's this is cute. It did get fourth in the challenge here. Uh, this is mm -hmm. just a Chandra Hope's Beacon All Runs Epiphany deck, right? Just yeah. like blue-red control with the classic Galvanic Iteration All Runs Epiphany combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a new thing, but I think this is the first time I've seen it on a Magic Online challenge. Mm -hmm. So stuff that I do like about this deck, I love the commitment to just like four Behold the Multiverse. It's just like I'm getting Thoughtseize so much and I'm going to play the best card that I can against Thoughtseize. The best card that exists like post expressive iteration ban is that's the closest thing we got. I, I think that the cheap interaction suite is good because it's just the is it interaction suite. I think it's prescient to have put a couple of main deck anger of the gods in the deck. And, you know, then it's just like kind of similar to the creativity deck. It's not as explosive, but you're like when the game package gets to be a little bit more compact. And I do think Chandra is a really powerful card. Mm -hmm. But the playing the four beholds is a clear acknowledgement of like what it takes in order to fuel casting like a six mana sorcery in your deck is like i'm trading resources and they're gonna thought seize me i need to buy back a lot of resources in order to be able to do this effectively i think it's also in it like a, a deck building decision to be made because a lot of the versions i've seen of this deck are big score in like four big score four arms epiphany style decks yeah, which has its own types that. of vulnerabilities, right? And you're yeah. just like so exposed in multiple spots. Mm -hmm. uh, this deck is not trying to just like combo with all runs of me as soon as possible. Like it'll happen eventually and you're going to win the game pretty much every time it does. Mm -hmm. So they're just playing a blue-red control deck and Behold the Multiverse is extremely good in that, in that role. Yep. 
Yeah, and so I like how this deck is just able to run a ton of Behold. I think that that is really good. You know, I don't know if this solves the problems of... Because, you know, the is it interaction core is kind of the same. And you're trying to... I think what you really want to do is find the top-end package that gives you the most flexibility against the matchups that are kind of hard. And also, specifically, like, is the best against Rakdos. Uh, so maybe being able to put four Behold the Multiverse in your deck is just like kind of doing that job really well. But then, you know, you have these gigantic tap out sorcerers as your win condition. Where does that put you against hard matchups like other blue decks? And that that's a little tough, I think. Yeah, that, that is tougher. But you can, if you choose to sideboard against those like Niv-Mizzet, Perrin, mm-hmm. is a really good card against those matchups. Yeah. Less so with Leyline Binding, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. There's options for sure. I'm not is it guy, but I do know that... I do like staying away from big score in this type of like, yeah, absolutely. conceptual I big score so much. In Pioneer, I think you're just asking for it most of the time when you cast big score. I also think that this player, like Oaf McNamara, mm-hmm. regular uh, blue control pile specialist especially on magic online so knows what they're yeah, doing the the gear hulk core that i've been playing originally was pulled from one of his results he listens to the podcast he's a oh he's really a, yeah nice. yeah he's popped up in my stream very friendly and uh very clever deck builder yeah excellent i i always look forward to their stuff well shall we talk for a little bit about creativity i just want to give a little bit of a deck overview and and stuff that i've places you know things that i've learned in my quest to make this deck work i wanted to talk about creativity and then then i clicked on a deck list that had tegrid god of fright and oh four least not in it so i don't know oh, if yeah. i can oh, pull myself that's... away <laughs> yeah the waste not deck did also top eight the sunday challenge yes so um oaf mcnamara tagged me on twitter and was like to to mention that he had top aided with this deck and say CCR's right, the Sunday challenge is where dreams come true. And not only did we get a top eight with Allrun's Epiphany and Chandra combo, but we got the mono black waste not deck in seventh place. <laughs> it's like inside you are two wolves. One is red white convoke. The other is here's Tegrid God of Fright. <laughs> it seems unlikely. If the Waste Not deck is a thing, it seems unlikely that Turgrid God of Fright slash Turgrid's Lantern deserves a slot in the deck. But I, So, I'm going to defend this person whose name is All Vowels. Uh, Turgrid's Lantern is cool. That's it. That's all I've got. It's cool. I, I mean, that's fair, but is it good? I didn't say that. No. no. <laughs> Look, when your opponent so, has no cards, you can play a lot of cards that don't have to be good. All right, so Waste Not combos with kind of Turgrid's Lantern, but not really. Four copies of Liliana of the Veil, four Thought Seizes, two Go Blank, two Inscription of Ruin. So so we've got a bunch of... we got a, a playset of Mind Rots in this deck, effectively. And Thought Seizes and Liliana's to go with the Waste Not. Notably, notably, one of the modes of Inscription of Ruin, return a two-drop from your graveyard to the battlefield, mm-hmm. only has one target, and it already has Blitz and underdog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep, this okay. is a 
pile of mono black four castle lockwain get those four with how many swamps eight and two urborg one of the beautiful things about uh mono colored decks that aren't aggressive decks is that instead of beautivolts as their utility land they just get to reach back as far as they can for like <laughs> the most unholy lands you've ever seen this deck has three gyre reach sanitarium which works with waste not it's a, it that's makes true that loot. does work with the waste not uh and it has that's drowning sick. temple or drown yard temple <laughs> which you can play from your graveyard okay so that one is kind of sus i think that i would not even think before cutting the turgrid and the drown yard temple from this deck before How playing it dare in the league. You? don't you want to have a fun ccr yes but i i enjoy winning as well and i think swamp is probably significantly better than drown yard temple and i think anything is significantly better than turgrid's lantern like maybe another two drop yeah maybe another two drop <laughs> We could probably, well, I was going to say we could probably go up to two duresses, but at some point, like, they just have an empty yeah, they're gonna and have, you're just, they're just drawing gonna discard spells. That's what the Gary Reach Sanitarium is for. You got to keep those Waste Not Triggers alive. Yeah, yeah. It's actually super smart. No, that that is really smart. I think that, yeah, Gary Reach Sanitarium is a great, you know, utility line that you get from having a monocolored mana base that combines really well with Waste Not. I, I'm down for that. I'm yeah, not really down for the Waste Not deck <laughs> generally, but that's smart. It's part of our C testing now. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we can we can move on. We don't have to talk about it. I just thought it was neat. I clicked on it because it said B, B in goldfish. And anything with letters as their deck name is usually something worth clicking on. <laughs> we couldn't describe this one. So yeah, Convoke is still WR for now. Soon it, it'll get an archetype name. But yeah, let's let's move on to creativity, which you, you know, published an entire document about yes so wrote a guide go check that out if you are interested in playing creativity or in beating creativity yeah i i mean i don't want to just like talk forever and ever about the deck but i have been putting time into it i have been pretty successful with it uh i have a couple of five o's i am three o in a league with it right now i win quite a bit more than i lose with it and it's just felt really strong I am happy with how I have it built to to give me good solid plans against Rakdos and Mono Green and kind of beat up on a lot of the random stuff that shows up and you just have like certain decks that are very tough but some of the stuff that I was losing to before I've made adaptations mostly in how I understand the matchups play out that have changed my win percentage in a way that I, I would like to share because I think it will be helpful to people. So I prefer Gearhole creativity over other types of creativity because I like all of my cards to be good when drawn. And that's a part of magic decks that I think is underrated when people are looking at how cards work together and what you can do with like, ooh, you know, it's always fun to put weird bad cards in your deck that do unique things in combination with other cards. But there is a certain level of power to just like all of your cards do something when they're in your hand kind of regardless of what your opponent is doing Uh, and so i don't think that you need to creativity for 30 damage in order to make creativity a card i also really like being able to scale my creativity over the course of the game uh creativity for one is a solid hammer pretty early on sometimes you 
creativity for two. So, sometimes you creativity for three. That one is pretty. <laughs> but the ability to scale it, I think, just gives you a level of flexibility with the card that other versions don't get and that I have really appreciated. You're, you're pretty resistant to hate cards generally. I don't know that I've lost to Rest in Peace or Leyline of the Void like any like the last like 10 times those have been put into play against me they kind of cost my opponent a card and don't do anything super functional because you just put five sixes into play and kill them or you hard cast magma opus and that's because your cards don't become dead just because they're not working together in the same way they're all castable they're all functional the way that i have the deck built right now my interaction suite my cheap interaction is Fading Hope as a one-mana removal spell to go alongside the kind of mainstays of Fiery Impulse and Make Disappear. Uh, I've been super, super happy with Fading Hope. You don't need to permanently kill stuff. You tax your opponent's mana. Pioneer is a very fair format, and people play a lot of creatures that cost two or three mana, and bouncing one of those creatures at the cost of one mana and getting a surprisingly helpful scry can removal spells have to be good against either Llanowar Elves or Shieldred in this format, in my opinion. And if they're bad against both of those, then it's a big stretch to put them in the deck. And that's why Volcanic Spite generally doesn't make the cut for me. And Fading Hope has this weird middle ground where, you know, it's not extraordinary against most stuff, but it is fine against Llanowar Elves. It is fine against Shieldred. And you, you have these, like... Oh, I can actually like bounce this Shieldred and then bounce it again with Divide by Zero and then bounce it again with this Gear Hulk. And then my opponent's dead before the Shieldred actually affects the game. And so I've been really happy with Fading Hope in that slot. It also just like lets you interact with stuff like Old Growth Trolls in ways that the Izzet deck really, really struggles against otherwise. Uh, divide by zero is a really similar thing. I was resistant to divide by zero at first <laughs> while playing these decks. It is, as Dom said, I I drew one in a game today and was like, yeah, divide by zero is pretty medium here. And Dom is like, that's a pretty evergreen statement about divide by zero. It's just a really medium card. And and, and it's a card that you, nev- you would never need if you're blue-white and probably really not if you're blue-black. But if you're in blue-red, there's just stuff you can't answer. And uh, Divide by Zero does a pretty good job of that. And also helps you by turning into like Reman Plus when you can get off a Teachings of the Archaics. And just like does a surprising amount of work. So in my like three drop slot, I've gone with Divide by Zero, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which I also was not like 100% sure about because I was like, isn't this really a mid-rangey control deck? You want to play at instant speed. Fable's just too too good. Yeah, it, it just does too many things. Also forces your opponent to interact with you mm-hmm. for like and pretty that's really, low cost. Yes. Yeah. And, and God, Fable is just so nuts. And then if they just don't have cards that line up the right way against it and you start getting treasures off of it and it, you just like it makes way more material than any other individual card. And that's really useful in a creativity deck. Uh, reflection itself is also something your opponents are not allowed to keep in play against you because right. Gear Hulk is nuts. 
Yeah. And so when you get to the point that you have like six lands and a treasure in play and your opponent's just like, I have to figure out a way of killing this reflection of Kiki Jiki. Like, yeah, I cannot right ignore now. it any longer. Like if you don't have the gear Hulk, I guess I can get away with it. But if you do, I'm just buried. Yeah. And uh, it's really it feels real good when you get to like pass the turn with a, a non summoning sick reflection and just knowing that you're going to pull this off. And I got a couple of Prismari commands. I'm just barely at the number of treasure makers necessary to be a creativity deck. I think I'm right at the borderline. It hasn't really bitten me too hard now, but like I'm at three creativities because I had to find room for to behold the multiverse in my main deck, which I put in and have kind of never looked back from. Uh, it does an incredible job at helping you recover from thought seizes. It helps you play these one-for-one -one games where you're not quite at enough mana or enough resources to creativity or gear hulked and get a magma opus off, but you do need to go through some more cards in order to progress your, you know, range of things you can spend mana on and what you can do. And so I've been really happy with a couple of beholds. And uh, yeah, three creativity, four gear Hulk, four magma opus. That's a deck. And uh, yeah, strong. You play it like a blue mid-rangey controlly deck that just ends up having a hammer. And if your opponent isn't careful about the creativity, then you get to punish them. And if they are careful about the creativity, then they have probably slowed themselves down in a way that you are able to keep interacting with them punish them by casting like a behold the multiverse or just like a fairish gear hulk uh, it doesn't always have to hit magma opus to be a really good card i mean the classic good like as long as you're doing other stuff like a gear hulk that hits divide by zero even is like passable good. and good yeah especially because then you may you may just have time and mana to get the make a bunch of creature tokens mascot exhibition is that what the card's called yes yeah i assume you're playing that in your sideboard still yeah, so the thing about Divide by Zero, especially in a Gear Hulk deck, is you generally will end up getting all of the lessons. So yeah. you need to have three in your sideboard, which hurts. Three sideboard slots in Pioneer is really, really valuable. And, and it's not a companion, so. Yes, and it's not a companion, so you're not getting that benefit out of it. It's just there to make your, you know, one of your spells in your deck function. But ultimately, Divide by Zero contributes enough that you kind of have to put up with it. It has been tough finding the like right configuration of a 12-card sideboard, but I think that the juice is worth the squeeze. So my sideboard right now, I have a couple of Shark Typhoons that I bring in against Rakdos, bring in against the other blue decks, and just gives you a little bit more of a grindy element that also you know threatens and doesn't countered and stuff i have a single search for Azkanta in my sideboard now which i put in and then played like three matches in a row one was against rakdos and it was phenomenal there one was against blue white it, it was good there it eventually got marched but it, it did some sure. work you know uh and then i played i was sitting on my phone goofing off in the car playing an explorer event on arena and I got paired against Mike Braverman playing rogues. <laughs> and as I was sideboarding, I thought, 
Wait, Search for Ascount is probably really good against rogues, right? <laughs> and then he thought he was me. <laughs> and I drew Search for Ascounta, and I had eight cards in my graveyard, and I slammed Search for Ascounta with Make Disappear backup. And uh, that game, it took 10 turns to end, yeah, but it course. was over by the time Search for Ascounta resolved. Yeah. Come on, Mike, you gotta give up rogues. <laughs> I mean. He played really well. He like, yeah, of course. Obviously, it's it's Mike, but yeah, that deck has some vulnerabilities for sure. Search for Escanta, not one that you're likely to run no. too much. Yeah, but it was hilarious. Have you played against blue white control any with this deck? It's hard, and you have to practice it. The thing that you're thinking about the whole time with blue white control, because this. Blue Control is a messed up deck against you. They've got all these main deck Dovin's Vetoes and Shark Typhoons, and just their cards are very good against you. They have like four Memory Deluge. Wandering Emperor is a really good threat that they get to just like get down early at the end of your turn before. So the thing you're trying to do, right, is number one, slam your Fable into play and hope that it resolves. And if it does, then you get a lot more leverage going forward from there because they have to do stuff about both halves of it and and that will cost them cards and so i i just slam it on the play i slam it on turn three and say do you have dovin's veto and if you don't then here is fable of the mirror breaker you have to kill both halves of it on the draw i may be more cagey about it and try to play it on turn four uh because like just getting it absorbed on turn three and then on turn four they get to cast deluge or wandering emperor is not a good sequence for you after that you're kind of just thinking about how can i set up a punish how can i set up a a gear hulk that resolves how can i set up a hard cast magma opus like a really common thing is just to like end of turn magma opus force them to counter it and then you can gear hulk the magma opus that just got countered and you're really just trying to figure out a place to resolve a magma opus at some point in the game. And then that often will cascade into you getting openings to resolve more magma opuses and kill them from there. But you can't let Teferi resolve and Wandering Emperor is also kind of a problem because it kills you not fast, but these games take so mana. many turns that, right, it doesn't cost mana effectively to to kill you and just be really threatening. So they have a lot of good stuff going on, and they have a Castle Ardenvale that they draw all the time, <laughs> and they have their own Shark Typhoons. So figuring out boarding was a little bit difficult. Like, I leave in all of my fading hopes now because they kill sharks they bounce flipped fables and your gear hulks so whenever you get something into play and then they do try to kill it and then you can bounce it and reuse it and you're just looking for these edges and you're looking for ways to get relevant game pieces and game actions out of not a lot of mana because you just you know you can't just like go indomitable creativity for two and hope that it works out. It's not going to work out. So it's tough. But the main deck behold the multiverse certainly helps. The matchup was harder before I had those. And it's probably like a 40 something percent matchup. Not horrible, but it doesn't feel good. And the matches are really long and you can't really afford to make many mistakes along the way. And there are some really, really high leverage spots where a small mistake, like counting 
like how much mana is going to be necessary for an exchange at the end of their turn or the end of your turn is like going to often decide the game. And so you just got to know how all of those sequences play out. I generally try to constrict the terms of the game as much as possible. Play out your fables, like make a shark for two, like make stuff happen in the early turns that will maybe cause them to stumble or just not be able to safely cast. They have four memory delusions, so you can't do nothing or they'll just memory delusion then bury you. And the more you kind of do stuff like that, and then that will lead you into having like treasure tokens in play and things like that. And then at some point you can force through magma opus and it's not easy and i always feel like i'm making mistakes the whole time i'm playing the game because it's just you don't know what cards are in their hand and their cards are really powerful but uh it is winnable i have won probably just slightly less than i've lost and so i i don't i'm not interested in playing against it at regionals but i'm not scared to play against it well let's talk about some stuff that's not on your guide like the convoke deck mm. you, you mentioned cinderclasm earlier is, is there anything you wanted to expand on or that matchup or anything like that yeah so i mean i have put two cinderclasms in the board over two of the spot removal spells like i cut the fry and a rending volley for now at least i you know fry is kind of nice because it kills teferi so it's uh, it hurts to cut it, but it is certainly your worst removal spell in the like white matchups. But I, you know, I played against Convoke. I played against Collins on Convoke, and having the Cinderclasms felt good. I won. I I guess I only played three matches against it today, but like two against Collins, and then one in the league that I played, uh, and I won all of those. It felt. Anytime they didn't just like keep seven and have like the nuts, I th I think you have a lot of game, especially if you have cinderclasms in your deck. I really want to experiment with uh, if disdainful stroke is like how helpful that is because I think countering convoker makes a lot of their hands not really function very well, especially if you can follow it up with like and now before you've dealt me too much damage, I either have a sweeper or can magma opus you. And I don't think the matchup is too bad. And I, after playing against it more, it's not like the existence of that deck isn't going to do, change my opinion of creativity at all going into the tournament. Sure. So what else? What else you got? Non-guide. Because people can reference the guide, you know? Yes. So value Magma Opus as a card in your opening hand Whenever I mulligan, it it is like agonizing to decide whether to put back a magma opus or, you know, it, put back magma opus and keep like functional interaction or keep magma opus and have the threat of that. And that really depends on obviously, like if I have a creativity in the hand, then you want to keep magma opus with that because that is the combo. But I think generally you should I, I you know i went through this like arc with it where i started playing the deck and was like "Ooh, a magma opus in my opening hand exciting and then i was like well no but this is like a mid-range that you want your interaction like how how good and then i you know 
reached a more happy medium, but having a magma opus in your opening hand is very good. That treasure is super helpful. Threatening the magma opus is terrifying to your opponent and just gives you all of these windows. The really frustrating games are where you're just like churning through cards, you're trading card for card, and you like you know maybe you have found a creativity that like you could do but the only stuff in your graveyard is like a make disappear and a prismari command and it's like i could get a gear hulk in play but it's doing almost nothing like i just can't capitalize the disappointing thing about double creativity is it does not work with counter spells at all right so if those are the only things that you've got going on it's not happening Right. And and so creativity is really the only card that ever like gets stuck in your hand and is like, I can't really safely cast this. And that's why I'm at three copies now, because uh, it's hard to justify creativity for one if you don't have a magma opus in your graveyard, unless it's a pretty low resource game and you get to like shriek mother only creature and get left with a five six, which is a thing that happens against like Rakdos in particular a reasonable amount of the time. But having that threat of the opus in your graveyard just makes your opponent have to think about what you can do and often just leads you into stumbling into like oh end of turn i can make another treasure i'll untap play a land have six mana and then i can just play this gear hulk on your upkeep and you're you just can't beat that i I didn't even realize that that's what was going on here and it's a much better feeling than like oh my god when am i gonna get a magma opus in my graveyard magma opus makes a four four like that that's damage other than yeah, the actual and, damage it does. <laughs> well, and and that's so that's really an important part of it's kind of a Delver deck in a way. Gearhulk has always been like a weird kind of like Delver card where you tr- you trade resources and then you kill them with your stupid five six. It's a uh, misplay click. Yeah, sure. With Magma Opus, it just kills them so fast because you deal your damage, you put nine power into play, you like tap down blockers and you just create this terrible situation for them. But the game actually ends really quickly once you do it. And that is really valuable. Yeah, you don't often need to do the whole creativity for two worm, two like Xenagos worm thing attack for 30 because this Mm -hmm. is serviceable and all your cards work. Yeah, you know, and that certainly adjusts your matchups you are a little bit worse against like green you're pro- you're worse against lotus fields because you don't just like have a haha 30 you yeah. not draw but you also don't have to play big score and that's a win in my book so i think we already bashed that card this episode even uh, yeah we don't need to go too deep into it but i prefer not to play it so sideboard plans i do want to talk about one kind of general philosophy of sideboarding that's really important to kind of get a grasp on which is figuring out the matchups where gear hulks and magma opuses get outclassed a little bit too easily and then you have to make the swap and i've got one hullbreaker horror in the sideboard i think that's enough and often i will keep a gear hulk or two in and bring in the hullbreaker horror and the goal is to creativity for two get a gear hulk and a hullbreaker horror flashback a spell that will bounce something with the trigger from the hullbreaker horror so that's really valuable and then probably whatever spell you flashback will also draw you into more spells to keep the hullbreaker horror bounces going 
And this is really, really valuable as a tool to have. There's a certain type of game that you play against Mono Green, where they just like do Kiora and three drops and then eventually nick those into too much mana. And even though you start stopping, you know, maybe you stop all of the Cavaliers and the Storm the Festivals, but then they just have a board that's like two old growth trolls and a Pelucranos, and then they like finally force their Cavalier, and you're just like, I can't beat this with gear hulks there's just no way for me to ever deal 20 damage through this and that type of game is where uh hullbreaker horror really helps because then you just start returning their stuff to their hand get an attack through and keep them from rebuilding in a way that can stop your you know gigantic blue creatures this is also a strategy that i've used against like enigmatic incarnation the card Enigmatic Incarnation is really, really tough to beat if you only have Gearhulks and Magma Opuses because they cast it, turn a Leyline Binding into a 7-drop, and then have a powerful 7-drop sitting in play and also Enigmatic Incarnation ready to keep doing disgusting stuff to you every turn. And that's just not something an Izzet deck is really capable of dealing with. But if you go, okay, I will... Now that you have tapped out to do that and probably like fought a counter war over your enigmatic incarnation, like I tried to counter it, you had the mystical dispute, all right, and then you put a Traxa or whatever into play. Now that gives me an opening to creativity, put a Gear Hulk and a Hullbreaker Horror into play, bounce your seven drop, cast a spell, bounce the enigmatic incarnation, pass the turn, and now you now you have to deal with multiple threats on my side of the board and probably like you know, you're not casting that attracts that I just bounced to your hand or anything like that. And Lotus Field is kind of the same way. You're not gonna your gear hulks don't really interact with the cards in their hand. If you're not gonna beat them conventionally. Yes. Yeah. So if you desperately need the Hullbreaker Horror in play, and it's just like the only thing that's going to do it for you, you can cut all the Gear Hulks. Or you can keep one Gear Hulk in and kind of guarantee, you know, you know exactly what's going to happen when you do it for X equals two. Pretty commonly, like my strat against green is to keep in two Gear Hulks. And a lot of times what will happen is you'll draw one of the Gear Hulks, you'll use it for some effect, and then you will creativity for two and get both of them in play later on. Yeah little flexibility inside where people probably haven't considered like the uncertainty of indomitable creativity post board it feels weird but it has worked pretty well for me yeah i I don't have anything against it like out of hand yeah i just you know try it out before doing it at regionals it's one of the things where it feels weird but when you're playing the games you know like you know what you've done to your deck post board so you can just yeah. play accordingly at at an rcq i played against alan and somehow like lost track and like thought that i had drawn a gear hulk but had not and thought that i was creativitying for guaranteed gear hulk plus hullbreaker horror but it actually was just two gear hulks and then i was like wait well i really messed that up <laughs> So most of the time, you'll know what you've done with your... <laughs> if you if you are paying attention and not being real fast and loose with it, fortunately, Alan's draws were terrible against me, so that didn't make a difference. Was this when he was playing Monogreen? Mm-hmm. Is he still playing Monogreen, do you know? I don't know. I, I don't know what he's been on lately. I hope it's not Monogreen. Yeah. 
It's not the most Allen deck. I just want my boy to have some agency. Yeah. <laughs> the cult of agency. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I, I'm not really against low agency decks most of the time, but mm-hmm. Mono Green takes it to a whole other level. It does. It does. What else do I want to say about creativity? I don't know. Feel free to ask me any questions about the deck. I enjoy like this. It, it feels good. This is a deck that I have gone really deep on and know inside and out. And that's why I felt like confident enough to write even like a, you know, kind of abbreviated deck guide on it. There's only a handful of decks that I've like gone this deep on. And I appreciate it when people ask me questions. And if anything that I'm saying doesn't make sense, like force me to re-examine it. And I would like to get it right before regionals. So, so reach out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anything else, I guess, for this week before we wrap it up? I don't think so. I think we've we could, run, I think we covered we've a run lot. out of show notes. We're yeah. not ranting. This is just like usually where we call it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I guess we don't need to cover the fake ban list announcement because that's definitely fake. So, you know. oh, I didn't even reg- like it was here and gone before it was even worth talking about. Like, yes, it, what next to Monday, right? Is when it comes out the 28th, yes. right? 29th, which is next Monday. And I don't think I'm, it's just going to be you and Collins doing the podcast from well, sunny so Texas, gonna, right? We're going to record the podcast in Dallas. You're welcome to, you know, to join us for it. Yeah, I'll I'm, hop in. I'm just going to hook up. Yeah, I think it's, it's very fine. doable. I didn't know if it was just easier for you all to just kind of do it yourself. Nah. I'm not going to be in Dallas, but y'all are. I mean, I think we can get on Discord and record. We're going to probably be like spitting on the same mic. So <laughs> perfect. Uh, but yeah, that's what we're doing. Uh, next week will be a like not live, but direct from the testing house in Dallas episode with our like we probably will not record on Tuesday because we're getting in on Tuesday. So we'll probably like record Wednesday or so and 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 try to have some pretty up to the minute thoughts on the format and there'll be yeah, screams be in the fun. background from people playing games it's like yeah. gonna be a whole thing yeah well, it'll be a, a, a 4d immersive experience <laughs> well kind of like two and a half d because my side won't have any of the screaming yeah and you know there's no visuals so we're losing at least a dimension and a half there so yeah i don't really know how dimensions in all the d's work we don't really need to <laughs> to go into really it to, to have a dissertation here oh <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah thank you all so much for listening really really appreciate it uh check out the stream twitch.tv slash ccr underscore grindcast and yeah we had a really good day today a lot of a lot of viewers on stream collins was hanging out it was really fun thanks for listening see you next week bye <laughs>